following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. How could they? Joseph's brothers, that is. You might be familiar with uh, the account. You could even call it a saga. Joseph was the favorite son, and he had several older brothers. And his father, Jacob, was not afraid to show this favoritism. He gave him this expensive, colorful coat, kind of as a sign of this favoritism, and all of his brothers, who were all older than him, couldn't stand it. And then Joseph had these dreams, these dreams which would become true, and we'll learn more about that in a second, but these dreams where his brothers would bow down to him, and he actually went and told his brothers. And it kind of sounds, throughout all of their interactions, as though Joseph can't read the room. It sounds as if he doesn't recognize that by being the, the younger brother and popping off at your older brothers, you're asking for something and it doesn't end well. Either he can't read the room or he can and he doesn't care. So maybe he's fine flaunting the fact that he is the favorite and his brothers are lesser than and someday they're going to bow down to him and it's going to be proven that he is the favorite, not just to his father, but to many others. When this happens among brothers, I don't know what your household is like, but I have three boys at my house. And what can commonly happen is when the youngest of the three boys decides that he wants to pop off at one of the older ones, there typically is some parental interaction that has to follow whatever happened, if you know what I mean. It doesn't go well. Older brothers have a way of putting younger brothers in their place. And sometimes that's okay, Sometimes it's not. And in this case, it goes crazy. I mean, do you know what happened? They are so mad that they're ready to kill him. And one of the brothers talks the others out of it. They throw him into this pit and they're deciding what to do with his life. I mean, this is like borderline getting ready to sell him on the black market because that's basically what they do. There's a caravan heading to Egypt and they sell Joseph into slavery, take his coat, dip it in animal's blood and convince their father that a wild animal killed him. I mean, how could they? This is how bad you have to be and how evil your mind has become, how wicked you have to become in order to convince yourself that the best thing that you can do and you are totally justified in doing so is to sell your brother into slavery and convince your dad that he's dead? That's pretty awful. Now, I don't know the last time you were wronged by someone. And maybe they said something that stabbed you in the back. They betrayed a confidence. They slandered you and spoke unkindly about you. I, I don't know what that last thing was. However, I'm pretty sure it wasn't this. <laughs> where, where somebody exerted power over you somehow, thought about killing you, and then decided rather to do the lesser thing by selling you into slavery. I, I, I don't know if, if that's happened to you. Odds are probably not, this is pretty awful. And so you could think to yourself, how in the world could they do such a thing? And if you're thinking that, imagine what Joseph was thinking. See, Joseph goes into slavery and he's sold into this, this prominent figure's home. And all the while, through all of the travel, the slavery, who knows the type of terrible experiences he had, he had to have been thinking that. How could they? All of the resentment going on in his head the grudge that he had been harboring against them, the don't get mad, get even kind of thinking. If I ever get out of here, 
who, who knows, although maybe we do know the kind of thoughts that probably were going on in his mind. But he sold into this prominent figure's home, a man by the name of Potiphar. And he rises the ranks because of his skill and good favor. And then Potiphar's wife tries to force him to bed. Joseph runs away. And then Potiphar's wife lies and says that Joseph tried to force himself on her. And then Joseph gets sent to prison once again. All he does is the right thing, and here he lands at the bottom. The bottom of the bottom, he is in the dungeon. And there are these two people there who worked for the king, and these two people who worked, Joseph has dreams about them, and those dreams come true. One of them dies, or is executed, rather, and Joseph also is on the brink of execution. And the other man whose dream Joseph told, he goes back and works for Pharaoh once again. Joseph says, remember me? The guy doesn't. Years go by. Joseph seemingly screwed over once again. Who knows what kind of thoughts are going on in his head? And you know what? I think we probably do know the kind of thoughts that are going on in Joseph's head. When you've been hurt and when you've been wronged, when you feel like you were the only one and the people who hurt you are getting away with it, and it seems like they've got enough scot-free and people even like them and believe them. And if only they knew when, when you worry that other people are going to think even lesser of you on account of the things that happened to you. When it happens where the person who wronged you hasn't done anything, anything at all to try and make it right. They haven't tried to talk to you. They've even acted like they're better than you. They've even convinced other people that you are a problem and that they are justified in whatever they did. Or they've tried to malign you in the perspective of others so that even if it does come to light, you know, the thing that they did to you, people will already think lesser of you and therefore believe you less. All of these things we've seen, all of these things we've heard about, sadly, many of these things we've experienced. And, and what are the thoughts that go on in our head? Isn't it the thought that we can never let that person get away with it? Because if we let them get away with it, well then, here's the sense of justice. Then it seems as though that what they did is okay. And we can't let that happen. And it seems as though this might even happen to other people. And we can't let that happen. Well, we think to ourselves exactly what Joseph could have and probably was thinking about his brothers. How could they? And as long as we think those thoughts about how could they, then then there's no way that we can ever, ever let them off the hook in our head. And you know what? I'm willing to bet. The Bible doesn't say exactly. But there's a lot of time that passes, and there are a lot of ups and huge downs that Joseph experiences. And I am willing to bet that Joseph spent a lot of time thinking those very thoughts. How could they? You know, the harboring of that resentment, the grudge holding in his brain. And as long as he does that, then, then he's not only not letting them off the hook, but then as well, he's, he's able to feel right. But is that true? Does it actually work out in the end, the more you harbor that resentment? I mean, what does it do for you? Does it actually make you better? Does it make you more right and them more wrong? 
Like, it, is, it, is it really a matter of holding on to all of these facts and regurgitating them so much so that when we think about the person who wronged us and even the face or the, crosses our mind or their name, then the only thing that we can even talk about is the thing that they did. It so consumes us that it is impossible for us to think of things that the Apostle Paul describes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, if anything is excellent or right, think about those things. No, can't think about those things because the only things we're thinking about has nothing to do with peace or joy or rest or relaxation because all we can think about is what that person did. And, and as long as we are holding on to the sense of rightness and justice in our heads, are we really collecting boxes of evidence that are going to make a difference in the courtroom of God? Is it really benefiting us when we wake up in the middle of the night and think about those things and when we think about those things we're deprived of sleep and rest does it really help us or others when we make our pain someone else's pain just because we feel pain and as sincere as that is i'm not saying what they did is okay but do we have the right to suddenly burden everyone else with it Sure, we want to share in one another's burdens, but when we and only we ourselves are the ones who experienced something, do we have the right to go around and turn their pain now into a right to gossip? It's amazing how a lack of forgiveness can turn into a multitude of grievances that land at our own feet. I'll say that again. It is amazing how a lack of forgiveness can turn into a multitude of grievances that land at our own feet and that are our own responsibility. You think Joseph had time to learn that? Pharaoh started having dreams. The king of Egypt, remember I told you there was that one who was executed and the other one went back to work for Pharaoh. And then finally he remembered there's this guy in prison. He knows how to tell dreams because he predicted my future and here I am. Pharaoh summons Joseph and Joseph tells it interprets the dream there's going to be seven years of plentiful crops and then seven years of terrible famine and Pharaoh believes him and Joseph tells him well this is probably what you should do and Pharaoh says thank you you are going to chair that committee and Joseph ends up becoming second in command of all of Egypt he's one of the most powerful people probably in the world at this time you want to talk about going from the bottom of a valley to the heights of a mountaintop in the economy, in social structures. This is it. This is it. Well, the famine comes. Joseph has been storing away all of the grain through those years of plenty. The famine comes and it reaches even Joseph's homeland. And so, lo and behold, who has to come to Egypt to collect grain? Joseph sees his brothers. They don't recognize him. Is he all done up to look almost like Pharaoh, but not quite? With his hair, maybe some type of decoration or whatever? They don't recognize him. He recognizes them. Through a sequence of events, he tests their allegiances, not because he's going to torture them, but because he wants to see how they are interacting with and favor his father and his brother. How could they? See, this is the time where if Joseph is ever going to get even, he has control. He holds all the cards. They have to come back to him. He even does this exercise where he plants some evidence that they did some wrongdoing, and they have to do whatever they can to bow before him. He has them under his thumb if he wants to do anything. And the possibilities truly, realistically, are endless. He could 
deprive them of everything, throw them in dungeon and torture them daily. He could sell them into slavery, buy them back and sell them into slavery and do it over and over and over again until they get the idea. This probably isn't something you should do to another human being, much less your brother. He could remind them every day what it's like to wrestle with this question, how could you? How could you? How could you? Until he breaks them, not only physically, but emotionally, mentally, and psychologically. But you know what? They are very worried. He forgives them, and then when the father dies, who they recognize as the one who holds this all together, and Joseph really cares about the father probably more than he cares about us as his brothers. This is the time when he is really going to enact all of the resentment that comes with the how could you kind of questions. But instead, Joseph gives us this beautiful example. He knows what they're worried about. He knows that this didn't come from his father, this mandate to forgive. His reaction is to weep and to cry because he has already forgiven. I can't help but wonder if Joseph throughout this entire saga has just learned some hard lessons that maybe, maybe we need to learn if we haven't already. And these lessons go like this, that to harbor resentment and to fail to forgive, to refuse to release the burden of responsibility of whatever they have done, because by the way, that's what it is. We tell ourselves that we are right and they are wrong and we harbor resentment and as long as we hang on to it, then they are wrong. And we tell ourselves that we have the right to hold on to the responsibility, but the lie in all of that is all we are doing is holding on to a weight of responsibility that we are not meant to carry. Imagine if I took a 45 pound plate, like for lifting weights, and I put it in a backpack and I put that on you and you had to walk around with that. After the first hour, depending on your physical stature, you might start to feel a little exhausted, but you might think, this is a good workout. Great. But let's say you gotta do that all day. And you can't take it off until you go to bed. And the reason is because then you would feel the weight in your knees, in your hips, in your back, in your toes. You might even feel the weight after several days in the tips of your hair. As soon as you get out of bed, that backpack has to go on. You might be okay with it after the first day. But the second, third day, after a week, your body would start to tell you something. You're not meant to carry this weight. And then imagine after a week, if, if you could do it, imagine you're standing there and then someone finally comes behind you and says, it's okay, I got this. Let's take this weight off. And they take the backpack off of you. Imagine the feeling you would have from your back to your hips, to your knees, to your toes, to the tips of your hair. What release and what rest. That's what forgiveness does to the soul. Forgiveness is recognizing that this weight, that's not a, a weight on your body, but it's it's very much like that. It is a weight on your heart. It's a weight on your soul that you are not meant to carry. This responsibility to take care of whatever they did, this isn't up to you. This is up to God. And so to recognize that the one standing behind you who takes that weight not off your back, but off your heart and off your mind and off your soul and off your back, this, this is the one who is the God of all, who takes all of the bags of gold that we owe him 
And he took that weight away. So then the tiny little bit that other people owe to us, so we tell ourselves, he takes that too. This is the God who has already forgiven us. And so he therefore calls us in kind, in his likeness, to forgive others. We're not meant to carry it. And Joseph knows that. That is why he is able to say this most beautiful thing. After wrestling and recognizing over and over again that we're not meant to carry this weight, that it doesn't do any good for us anyways, that walking around with how could they and how could you, it only burdens our heart. It negatively affects the people around us. It hurts us more and more. It makes us the meanest, most vindictive version of ourselves. And it boils over and will also affect the people we love and care about in closest proximity. That's natural. It's going to happen. Joseph had to realize, and I pray that you and I can realize too, we're not meant for this. So what does he say? He doesn't say, how could you? He kind of does, but he doesn't. He kind of recognizes that they did something but it's not a how could you as though he's dwelling on it. He says it in such a way that he has put it behind him because God has taken care of it all. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. For what is now being done is the saving of many lives. I mean, think about it. Had all of those things not happened, Joseph never would have been in this position to help out not just Pharaoh, but the entire region at that time to provide and to feed and to save many lives. He was able to see that everything that happens, even the harm in our lives, God carries it out in such a way to do good, not only for us, but for others, according to his sovereign plan. You see, what makes God sovereign is that he's in control, and he also knows everything, and his will is always good. So as he allows things to happen to us and causes things to happen for us in this world, a world that is broken in sin and people who are flawed by nature, God only wants what is good in the end. And is this not a classic example? Even, even, not just the saving of many lives through food, but the saving of lives in terms of relationships and, uh, and brotherhood restored. I wonder what it would be like for you if you could take all of the things that you hold in those resentful corners of your heart, the grudges that you hang on to in your mind. I wonder what you could do and what it would be like if you could let those things go. And you know how you can? God took all of the weight of your sin. You see, the, the reason why God could hold everything against us is because he didn't make this world broken and he did not create us to sin. And we are that way and demonstrate it all the time. And yet God in his wisdom and love has carried out forgiveness that is beyond measure. His love is so high and wide and deep that what does he do? He has already forgiven us. It's a, it's a status that he declared over us by virtue of his word, by the power and working of his son's life, death, and resurrection. And even as that word has reached your own heart, I mean, think of what the writer, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. 
He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. God has already forgiven you. It is a past tense done. Just as Jesus declared it is finished on the cross, so too God has removed your guilt from you. Your slate is clean. This relationship restored. And so if God has done that with something far greater than thousands of bags of gold indebted to him, and he has wiped that debt clean, keep in mind, God has done that by virtue of making a payment. If, and if God has already done that, made the payment through his son, his son took our debtedness, his son suffered hell, the pain wasn't just nails and a crown of thorns and a, and a spear in his side, the payment was suffering our hell on the cross, and it is finished there, then what release we have before God, the one to whom we are indebted above all. And then with such grace, what do we really have to gain by holding on to any resentment towards our brother and sister? It doesn't help us. It doesn't help us just by virtue of how we see ourselves. It also doesn't help us by virtue of how we view our relationship with God. It also doesn't help us by virtue of how we view our relationship with others. The question really is not, how could they? The question isn't even, how could Joseph? The question really is, how could God? How could God look at me for all the ways that I have held on to the pain that others have caused me or my family? the people I love, church members here, when I see the way that they are hurting, and my natural inclination is to get mad and to do something about it, worldly speaking. What am I going to do? What good is it going to do to live in that how could they type of mentality when, when the God of all calls us to let all that go? Keep in mind what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not that you have to declare what they did okay. God never said that, so don't tell yourself that lie anymore. It's pointless. Forgiveness is not that you have to invite them over and be fast friends with them again. God never said that, so don't tell yourself that. Don't even bring it up. It's, it's pointless. Forgiveness is not that you now have to pretend that what they did is okay and then make yourself vulnerable again. The Bible never says that. God never says that. So don't even say that. It doesn't help. Forgiveness means that weight of responsibility is not meant to be on your shoulders, your heart, your mind. So let it go. Throw it off. And specifically, throw it to the feet of the one who stands as judge of all. Because the ones around us who intended to harm us, God can. And in his own wisdom and according to his own sovereign plan, will carry it out for good. What that is... That's above our pay grade. But it will, in some way, shape, or form, turn out for good. I don't know what this is like for you. I don't know what type of pain is fresh and what type of wounds are raw in your heart right now. I don't, I don't know what that is. It could be that someone took a confidence and broke it, that they turned information on you that you trusted them with, and they turned it into a knife to stab you in the back. It, it could be that somebody who's close to you has maligned you to other people that are close to you. It could be that this person has done very, very clear things to harm people in your life. I don't know what that is specifically for you. But what I do know is that God has a plan to release you of that burden. The saving of many lives and what the life 
that can be implied and inferred here too is the saving of this life that you possess right here and now. Saving it for something far greater than walking around with some weight on your heart and mind, but walking around with this peace and rest. Do, do you know what that's like? I mean, imagine facing people and facing a world like Joseph did, like Joseph does in our reading. He then is able to speak kindly to them. He is, he is impenetrable. You, there's, you, you can't touch him. You can't hurt him anymore. He's looking at the people who sold him into slavery and he reassures them and forgives them and even declares God's promises to them and, and he takes care of them and their families and he speaks kindly to them. Isn't that the type of reality that we want to be able to look at the people who hurt us and to let's say we're even able to get even with them? What good does that even do? Because then even if that does happen, what are you able to say? Yeah, I got them back. Okay, and then what? But... But God gives you something far greater. He gives you this reality like that of Joseph where you can walk around and people can't touch you. Where you have your rest secured in who Jesus is and his promises for you, that no, there's nothing that a person can do to you. I mean, imagine if, if you're able to walk up to someone and you're able to have this encounter with them where when they actually wronged you, you're able to actually forgive them. You're first of all able to have a conversation about it. And then you're able to say, I forgive you. And then to treat them kindly. And to deal with them as God deals with you. Not because you're telling yourself all these lies about what they did is now okay and whatever. No, 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 no. There's no time for that. All that stuff is, is lies that get in the way of us forgiving. They are lies of the sinful nature, the world, and the devil. That's all they are. So let those be in the trash bin where they belong. And you move ahead as a child of God who's able to forgive your brothers, your sisters, maybe in the home, certainly in the faith, and also in humanity. And in this way, you're able to move forward in confidence and peace and rest that only God can give you. So enough of this how could they type of mentality. Instead, ponder how could Joseph, and really truly how could God, and then that will lead you to maybe ask one last rhetorical question. How can I not forgive? God grant it. Amen.